Welcome to CDM Media's Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, Vice President at CDM Media. We have a great show for you today. I'm joined today by Scott Miller, SVP and CISO at Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper is the United States' largest non-bank mortgage servicer and leading mortgage lender. Before joining Mr. Cooper, Scott was the CISO for eight years at HMS. Before that, the head of global IT security at Alcon Laboratories, and also had a five-year stint as the chief security architect at Mass Mutual. I'm excited to dive into the changing face of security in the financial and insurance world with Scott. So after the break, Scott Miller. Scott, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So I, I got to dive in right away. How is 2021 shaping up to be different for the FinServe security executive world? You know, um, I think myself and my constituents have all been dealing with the COVID work from home situation. And uh, I think a, a lot of us took it in stride and were able to get our environment, our infrastructure, our business processes and our standards um, matched up and adjusted for what we were going to have to do. Um, many companies had rather restrictive policies and standards in place, but uh, for the most part, I think, you know, again, myself and my constituents were able to adjust. Now, as we look at 2021, um, I think that those adjustments are probably going to stay, right? I think um, when you find the need to do something different, you adjust to that need, and then you take a look at uh, whether or not those updated standards and policies actually create an undue amount of harm or risk to your institution. So that's probably gonna stick around. Um, so I think with those adjustments um, and with this being the new norm, uh, my, my team that I have at uh, Mr. Cooper is going to continue to roll forward by um, really focusing on the threats that are out there that are not associated necessarily with just the institution, the standard, you know, brick and mortar business, but the threats that are out there that are associated with the work from home situation that we all have now. Um, and uh, I would say that I'm probably not alone in understanding that a compromise to my, my business team members at home represents a potential compromise to our brick and mortar business, our brick and mortar um, institutions. So we have to really extend the way that we are supporting trust in our trust boundaries um, from, a, from a general security perspective. Do you think that the focus is, you know, when you look at the three buckets, people, process, technology, you know, where do you feel like there is more focus right now? Uh, I think that there's a, a huge focus on people. And um, while we all think about it from a, a technology perspective, and yeah, you know, there's always the process components of this, um, the, the primary focus that most of the, uh, the, the blogs that are out there um, and you know, the, the news outlets that are out there, the primary focus has been on the technology, the, potential, the, the breaches that have been um, um, explained um, and um, you know, people are trying to figure out what they're gonna do about these breaches. And again, the, the focus is always on technology, but to be very honest with you, um, the people aspect of what we all have to contend with and how we maintain safety um, and how we manage risk with all of the people in our organizations, those are the, the areas that we need to continue to focus on. Talk to me a little bit about the move from 
really being historically reactive as security executives to now having to be proactive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, when you think about a reactive posture, most organizations will have focused on vulnerabilities and vulnerability management. Um, and the, there, of course, this is required, right? Um, but when you think about TVM, the, the well-known acronym, right? Threat and Vulnerability Management, most people ignore the threat aspects of that and they focus on the vulnerability management aspects of that. And when you do so, you look at the numerous vulnerabilities, right? That, that can be in the millions for many different companies, depending upon how you count vulnerabilities. Some people count vulnerabilities as one single vulnerability that is spread across 2000 systems is one vulnerability. Others look at that as every point of access to my company is a vulnerability, regardless of the fact that it is the same shared vulnerability. So some will count that as 2000. So again, most companies have traditionally focused on vulnerabilities and vulnerability management. We really need to talk about threat and risk, right? And um, how many threats are there to your institution and what level of risk does that pose? And then once you've determined the level of risk that it poses, talk about the likelihood, right? Um, what is the likelihood that someone is going to storm the gates of my neighborhood, um, you know, past the, the gates uh, that are protecting 59 houses in my community, and then make their way to my particular house, to my particular door, and then bust through the door, and then make their way all the way upstairs to where I am sitting right now to assassinate me, right? There is a very, very low likelihood. Is there a threat out there? Sure, there are people out there with guns. Is there a risk that this can happen? Sure, there's a risk that this can happen, but the likelihood is very, very low. So you really have to start looking at this more holistically and stop dealing with vulnerabilities just for the sake of vulnerabilities. When we talk about vulnerabilities right now for a lot of organizations, that's work from home, right? And so mm -hmm. how long do you perceive this work from home going on in your industry and how has that morphed? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I think that um, there are several considerations for work from home and some of them are, they have very little to do with uh, risk and more to do with expense. Um, there are companies who uh, I know of, I, I personally know about this. There are companies that have built brand new facilities. And those facilities were built in 2018. And then in 2019, people were moving into these facilities and they said, all right, great. We've got this awesome brand new facility. Let's go ahead and, and have our people come in here so that they can appreciate all that we've done for them. You know, it, it's beautiful, it's austere. But then 2020 hit and all of those people who were in those facilities moved out of those facilities. But the business spent money on those facilities. So they want to use what they spent their money on. So they have moved people back into those facilities, not necessarily because they think that everything is perfectly safe and perfectly fine, but because I, I hate to say, they kind of want to get their money's worth. So there are companies that have moved people back into those facilities for those reasons, right? They felt like there was, a, there was enough of a, a safety that they could provide you know, with social distancing and telling people to mask that it was perfectly fine. There are other institutions that found ways 
to ensure that the people that were uh, team members that are helping them, you know, grow, create and grow their business, were able to continue to do so from home. Um, and, and I happened to work for one of those companies that was, you know, that, that became very, very profitable during this COVID time period where we could take a look at what we've done in the past and where we are today and then say, okay, well, from an empirical perspective, how are we doing? We're doing perfectly fine. Okay, well, if we're doing perfectly fine, do you really need to relocate people back into the classic brick and mortar um, situation that we've all been experiencing for so many years, right? So I, I think that you take uh, new you know, companies that are maybe, let's just say, five to 10 years old that have adopted the, the WeWork philosophy, like, hey, look, I just need an office space. People can go in there, they can meet. And when they're done meeting, they can go home and work from home and do what they need to do. We don't need to have a classic, you know, brick and mortar building that has our name on it. Um, those are companies that are five to 10 years old. And so many of these companies that have, you know, grown from the startup concept. You take these companies that are 40 plus years old who had not been leveraging that same uh, work paradigm and they've had to adjust and they found that this is a workable and viable means of sustaining business. And I think it creates great opportunity for those businesses where they can now look at the, the, uh, the way that they have managed their facilities in the past and they can say, hey, you know what? We don't necessarily need to maintain this facility in the state of California or the state of Wyoming or the state of Connecticut, state of Idaho or whatever, right? Um, maybe now we can close those facilities down because we don't actually need to maintain brick and mortar. We've been sustainable and profitable otherwise. So as we look at, at 2021, from a FinServe security standpoint, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Um, I, I think that we, as a FinServices institution, are faced with uh, an unprecedented rate of unemployment. And that unemployment weaves its way into everything that we do and everything that we are, right? Um, financial services companies loan money um, and financial services companies need money. Um, well, you are not going to loan money to people who don't have a job or who have a high risk. And so by not loaning that money out as a financial services institution, you're not able to profit from your interests. And by the same token, if I don't have a job or other people don't have a job, my savings diminish. So no longer am I putting money into that institution. So you don't have as much money to lend out. So I think that you start to, to face a real serious business issue when financial services institutions don't have the money coming in to loan out. And they are also not loaning money out to people who are high risk because they don't have jobs. So the unemployment has put a serious dent in the way that financial services institutions have to, uh, have to put their practice together and, and continue to create and sell products to be profitable. By the same token, if you're looking at the mortgage industry, um, we've had the CARES Act that came in to help with those who were in financial distress because people were unemployed very much as a result of COVID and the fact that people can no longer go to their standard institutions and work the way that they have in the past. Right, the food services industry or the services industry in general, when people are no longer able to make ends meet the way that they have in the past, it puts a strain on them, which puts a strain on financial institutions. Interesting. You know, one thing that I found 
fascinating uh, over this time, right, is we've seen boards being more involved in cybersecurity. McKinsey study recently published uh, talked about focusing on oversight, structure, and awareness from a board perspective. You know, my question for you is, is oversight more frequent and intense than before? I mean, when you look at 95% of board committees discuss cyber risks and tech risks four times or more a year, I feel like that's accelerating. Are you seeing that oversight in, is a bit more frequent? I have seen that oversight um, and um, in, the, in the companies that I have served, uh, I am very fortunate to be able to tell you that it has always been taken very seriously, right? Um, there is time in the board meeting, um, in every one of the board meetings to discuss risk, not just from a financial risk perspective, but from a cybersecurity risk perspective, because the boards are starting to understand and um, start to internalize really in their review processes the fact that the in, anything that would affect the overall stability of the institution from a cybersecurity perspective has definite connections to the stability of the institution as a, as a whole right so for that being the case these institutions not only are starting to um, give it more time, but they're starting to put a little bit more structure around it. Now, I hate to say with, with all of that being said, that there's still almost kind of a, a checkbox perspective on how we need to go through this. If you don't start planting people that actually have a background in cybersecurity into your boards, then you don't have enough um, uh, point of reference to understand what is being presented if it is sufficient to help protect the company. So on one hand, you know, um, most institutions will say, well, look, you know, I require you to have a, an annual risk assessment done by um, Joe Blow Company and, um, you know, make sure the Joe Blow Company is, is someone that we're familiar with, that we recognize and we are confident uh, with the results. And so that that comes in and it needs to be reviewed. But my question is, who is reviewing that material? Is there a cybersecurity expert on that board that is reviewing the results so that, that can ask questions about the risks that were outlined, right? So in the same way that we have had SOCs and we have SOC 1 and SOC 2 reports, there needs to be someone who is on these corporate boards that has the knowledge and understanding of the potential impact. And again, we go back to the, you know, the threats, the risks, the likelihood, someone who can stand there and have conversations on this real time. So do you feel that, that cyber has a large enough part in the overall operational resilience of, of organizations? Is it getting there? Are we there yet? I, I think that it is getting there. Um, I think if you look at um, where security sits within institutions. If you look at an, a, an institution that has not yet evolved, you have security at a, um, we'll just say, a, you know, a, a middle management level, level. And that middle manager reports to someone who is IT operations. And then that person who's IT operations may report to the CIO. They may be the CIO or what have you, right? That is a, an, an unevolved company. You look at a more evolved company and you have a senior leader who is not only reporting to 
the CIO, but maybe has a dotted line of someone else, but they are a senior leader. And so the CIO recognizes that that, that individual who is their senior leader is someone to be trusted. And the CIO stops trying to you know, dip their foot in all of the ponds and says, you know what, I've got an expert over here. I can stay focused on the business of running IT for all of IT operations to maintain the, the resiliency um, and, and awareness and, and growth of IT as a business within my corporation, while my security person focuses on the myriad of risks and evolved threats that are coming out there. And then you evolve yourself to the next level company where security does not necessarily report into IT and they report into either risk or they report directly to the CEO, right? Most companies are taking the step of moving security away from IT direct and is now, you know, put, promoting that to reporting directly to risk so that there's a higher seat at the table. There may still be a dotted line and we're not necessarily talking about, you know, SVP, EVP levels, but it gets the security organization away from being quasi buried, right? And then the most evolved company recognizes that security is part of risk and uh, security can report directly to the CEO, uh, or again, they can just report into the chief risk officer of a company. And either way, in either way, um, it allows security to have a more prominent um, uh, position in helping to maintain the company from a risk posture perspective and protect the brand of the company by understanding what's going on from a strategic perspective and not having information continue to be filtered down. You know, you're talking about the the, the growth of the department. Let's talk about the growth of, of the individuals, right? Uh, when you're looking at the, the highest and in, most in-demand tech jobs out there, data security is right there at the top. Mm -hmm. What is some advice as we close out here today? What's some of your advice for people who are looking to advance their career in, in FinServe data security? Um, advice that you, you, you've you learned along the way and, and you, you depart to them. Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, one of the things I would say is don't get into security because you think that it is sexy in some way. Like, hey, I want to go into security because I want to be, you know, an ethical hacker and hacking is cool, right? Yeah, hacking is cool, but I hate to say you can buy tools that will do some of the automated hacking for you and tools are continuing to be uh, updated. What is important is to understand not just that a system is vulnerable, but that a system, a process, um, or people are part of that vulnerability and then figure out how to tie those things together, right? Oftentimes someone will say, well, this, this system is, you know, vulnerable to X, Y, Z, um, you know, I, I don't want to call it particular industry uh, product, but X, Y, Z vulnerability. And so we need to go figure out how to close that vulnerability out. But what you don't realize is that the only reason it's vulnerable is because uh, Bob or Suheeb or Bethany configured that system incorrectly. So if we had done a better job educating those individuals from a people perspective, they would have done a better job configuring that system so that it didn't have that vulnerability, right? You really have to start looking at security from a more holistic perspective and not just from a technical perspective. Most people think about security from a technical perspective. 
but it's not just purely a, a technical construct. It is a risk construct. And you have to figure out how to connect those dots between what is vulnerable from a technology perspective, the likelihood of that vulnerability being exploited from a general risk perspective. Those people are the most powerful people. And then most importantly, focus on interaction and brand. Um, there are uh, a myriad of people who are super smart technical and they are best left sitting in a corner by themselves because they don't know how to interact with people. They don't know how to explain their ideas or express themselves well because no one's ever challenged them to do so. So people who are looking to break into information security should think about making themselves um, not just available, um, but making themselves um, someone, someone wants to come and talk to, right? Um, people like to work with people that they like. They don't like to work with people that they don't like. So you have to think about how to make yourself likable and marketable, but also have enough knowledge so that you can be considered a subject matter expert, but then you are the person that they take with them when they go to the meetings and they start explaining the risks and the ideas that they can use to solve those risks. Wonderful. Fantastic insight. Thank you so much, Scott, for, for taking the time and, and taking us through this. It's going to be an interesting year, that's for sure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity and you have a great day. I want to thank Scott again for joining us today. Please check out our library of great podcasts from leading tech executives across the globe at cdnmedia.com. Until next time, I'm JD and keep connecting.